Welcome to the Soft Issues Podcast. This week we're talking with industry legend George Gorey, saddleback brand manager, mountain bike racer, wheelie popper and all-round top bloke. So yeah, so tell us your theory about uh, hitting stuff, George. No, yeah, my theory, <laughs> theory we, uh, largely a lot of our conversation was lost before we've hit record here, but the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the yeah we we were just saying that that it's um there's a lot of there's a lot of aspects of of spannering and and bike repairs that I think the general public feel feel that there should be like a nice well made drift or removal tool or something <laughs> like that and 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 uh, the the reality behind a lot of press fit things and a lot of a lot of interference fit things is that that you really have to get a bit gung ho on removing them and. and taking a drift and a heavy hammer and a and a bit of uh, persuasion to get them out but it's it's not always uh, the expectation of the customer that, that this delicate ten thousand pound bike they've got is, is about to take the shoe in of its life but there's a, there's a technical term wasn't it just just twat it yeah just twat <laughs> it one yeah yeah between us all yeah. Yeah, hold this is where you got to clear everything off your workbench so you don't you could see where the bits landed that you just hammered out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, it sounds like things have uh, well, you've broken windows with that kind yeah, of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's there's been there's been numerous the bits and and there's been numerous like uh, occasions where you you fire something out and it's gone under three different workbenches. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's a team effort to retrieve the the saddle wedge or whatever it was that you've had to knock out or the bearing cup. Yeah, my goodness. I used to do bike fits in people's homes and having to like get out the hammer in their home <laughs> and smash their seat post whilst they're holding their bike. You always so. feel a bit delicate around someone's house as well, though, don't you? If you ever yeah. nip by <laughs> to repair something that was missed, you uh, you always feel feel a bit like you're a guest in someone's home and you can't put put like stuff on the on the kitchen <laughs> table or whatever. Like you can't put tools on the kitchen table. I don't know. Yeah, I think I did used to ask permission before I got the hammer out. But <laughs> yeah, I've just come round with a hammer. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, is that in general, like, or or in terms of bike repairs? Like, well, <laughs> usually I was in the context of bike fitting. But <laughs> yeah, I don't generally carry a hammer around with me to people's it's homes. Like on the on the the police programs, isn't it? When they turn up at the front door with the sled, like with the yeah yeah the the. The Swing. ram, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the ram. Do you mind if I use this? Yeah. Can, can we come in? Uh, yeah, it was amazing being how strong PVCU doors are. They, they, those look like the ones that that survive, don't they? <laughs> I don't know. They always seem to cave in so much in the in all the programs and so on. But uh, anyway, <laughs> at least they're not made of carbon fibre. No, no, they we um, yeah. There's there's a uh, there's a strange belief that that the more expensive the bike is, the more indestructible it is as well. We, we, I'm sure we've all come across that in our time as well. And you know, it's like the uh, like when you're watching the Formula One and they they sort of have a little like touch tires, and then it, it creates this rainbow of shards of carbon around the place. <laughs> oh my goodness! But we are in the home of, of shards of carbon here, aren't we? We're in Lee Valley, Lee Valley Velo oh Park. Goodness. And if we've ever stood outside and watched the racing, yeah. Did you did you ever see any kind of bad crashes in that yeah. kind of way when you were racing? A good here? friend of mine. Um, we we used to race here quite a lot, and and the 
full gas series used to be up here and a good friend of mine had missed the move and he was getting bored and I remember like sort of as as we were coming past mm. you, like the circuit you can see each other quite a lot yeah and he was sort of like waving and thumbs up and this and that and I think he just got distracted and got caught by the crosswind <laughs> and uh, and like off the back of the bunch this is he wasn't he was just tapping around getting home pretty much yeah. and um and, and his front wheel got whipped out and he bashed his face on the floor oh. and like we all finished the race and we're like where's Kev then <laughs> oh god yeah I mean like talking to the guys at the front desk here there's every Wednesday that is Wednesday today isn't it yeah, so, oh, yeah. Oh, ready for broken collarbones <laughs> so. oh, we did um, on the track league we <clears throat> saw someone go into the seats that was um, there was a uh, lad called Tom Kennison lovely lad he's, uh, he's still with us today <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And he came, uh, it was in the B's race and the A's were just about, we were all like waiting to go on to the track for our race and they, the bunch caught two riders on the last lap and I don't think they realised the, the, the perpetual speed of the bunch and one of them swung up to get out of the way and kind of ripped through the bunch and like on track you tend to ride over stuff if there's a if there's something happening you go up because <clears throat> everything yeah. slides down and, yeah. it, and it sort of works quite well but with the speed of it all people were sliding up and he sort of like hit someone and took off oh. and went along the rail and then into the seat <laughs> and it was just the, the most catastrophic noise you've ever heard oh. of plastic and bikes and groaning and, and they, they were like right well, it should be about 20 it should be about 20 minutes we'll get it all sorted and then you go back up and it kind of went on a bit more. And they were like, we'll probably get one race by the end of the evening. We're all like, you know, when you've seen something, you're like, yeah, I'll probably go home. Yeah. yeah. Sort of, <laughs> I suddenly missed my wife and yeah. my ability to walk. <laughs> yeah. Start fancy it today. Yeah. yeah. But generally speaking, it's, it's all pretty safe. Right? It's, yeah. Cycling's very safe, isn't it? Everyone. Yes. Yeah. Triathlon. <laughs> <laughs> Time trialing. Is Time trial. Well, well, Hacking on the airport. Yeah, like time, yeah, like you said, uh, cycling's cycling. You just fall off and lose skin. Whereas like time trialing's the the iffy one now, and it used to be like twenty years ago. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was watching uh, Dan Bingham at um, Worlds, yeah. and I don't think he looked up like once. <laughs> He's just had his head like in his in his lap. Pretty it used much. to be like so simple back in the day because like in. In Devon, when I was racing when I was younger, you you sort of did time trials because there was, there'd only be like a road race every two mm. or three weeks, or a, yeah, or an evening crit like they'd do four through the summer or something, and and you you stack it up with time trial and you go to the local ten and there'd there'd always be a club ten, mm. but you turned up on kind of whatever and people were on like an old like steel Harry Quinn from <laughs> from like from when they were a junior yeah. and it was good enough and everyone sort of bowled on and got on with it and like you said they pedalled round and but it's like even track's got like that. It's an arms race now, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, like absolutely mechanical dope, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the trouble is like it, it's it's got so far into the sharp end that the exponential speed of it all now that it's going like like an extra 10k an hour average or something like that suddenly means that each difference makes a bit more but yeah well, it's like the depth of one's pocket does not necessarily correlate to that athletic ability no no you've got to actually still be able to ride a bike there used to be rules though. well not rules there used, used to, be to be unspoken 
unspoken gentleman's agreement etiquette yeah where it was like if you were on a week a weeknight track league sort of thing like a bit of a kickabout that you didn't use carbon wheels and everyone ran the same gear so it was just racing against yeah, each other yeah. <clears throat> and now it's like you, you and it, it is that that sort of trickle down thing where one guy who's suffering a bit will go fuck it I'll put me down <laughs> and then then the next guy, then he's not the last guy anymore and then the next guy goes oh well so and so's got a disc in I'll stick mine in and then and then like you still see the juniors and the, the Ethan Vernons and stuff that yeah. like when I was racing here he was still on a tiny gear and, and alloy wheels but everyone else is going well to keep up we're going to have to go <laughs> and then now like I'm sure if you went went into the velodrome here on a on a winter's evening for track league, particularly the lower categories, it's like a World Cup round. It, it's yeah, like yeah, five yeah. spokes, aero helmets, yeah. aero socks, like yeah. look T20s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is it. Boy, it's really cheap from the French Federation. Yeah. The Olympics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got this off Gregory Broad. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true, though, isn't it? It's like, you know, the, the arms race, mm. and it happens in every round of cycling. Yeah. Like, you go out onto a criterion now, like the Wednesday night knockabout, yeah. if you like. Everyone's on like 10 grand bikes, skin suits, aero helmets. Like, it's bonkers. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Why are you on the Cad 10? Yeah, yeah, you I know. know. I mean? oh, no. That's a crit bike, isn't it? Oh, it's mega. I still got my Cad 12. I've, like, last of the rim bike ones. Yeah. yeah. But now everyone's on a 10 grand bike. Mm. Like, you know, can you afford to crash that? L- Lacquer. Lacquer still sponsored by Lacquer. There must be like a subcategory like, are you going to go to Hillingdon or Lee Valley? It's like, <laughs> yes, all right, another 30 quid on your premium. Yeah. The um uh, yeah, like it's it's mad, isn't it? Like and the handlebar thing as well. Like this oh, is this is where I'm starting to feel old because like I, I'm willing to forego how many what's must it be but i'm Point sure five Point seven at best <laughs> I, I i got scoffed at like i haven't done much circuit racing in a while but last summer i went to goodwood and chris chris mcnamara yeah he's like a race with for years and he loves it he's like obviously working train sharp he's he keyed into everything and and he nearly like fell over because i was pulling on cotton socks <laughs> 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 and he's like you realise what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'd, I'd subscribe to a cult. It's yeah. like, this is the beginning of the end, my friend. You... <laughs> Leaving it on the table. Yeah. George, we've got standards here. Yeah, we... <laughs> no, no, I, like, but that's it. Like, there's, there's a sense that I'm willing to forego certain things because I like things to be a certain way, which I, I think I'm, I'm sat in similar company here, that you'd sooner enjoy the... Well, there's a trade-off here because your bike fits as well, isn't it? But well, <laughs> you wear different hats. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd sooner enjoy the aesthetic of my yeah. bike than than be like chipping away at those those tiny little gains here and there. But obviously, then then I'm probably further into the into the sort of enjoying the aesthetic of my bike more so than being in the optimum position. Wow. Well, well. <laughs> well, where do we start? Do you want to go first? Oh, I, I don't know. I? Yeah. I, I think we're all in the sport because we enjoy like a particular aesthetic of, yeah. of cycling. 
and so fashion on, so. as F calls it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also well, what we imagine our day out to be when we're bored doing a task that we don't want to do. Yeah. And you have this like this thought bubble of a picture of where you want to be doing what looking yeah. What do yeah. you want to look like? And you yeah. paint a picture of your romantic day out with your bicycle, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, everyone everyone does. You know, that's just that's just our nature and that's what we wanna to, wanna to do. Um but we're just lucky as bike fitters, we just have like more more choice. Yeah. <laughs> more more knowledge. So we can make bad choices very consciously if we yeah, want to. Yeah. yeah, you know what it's it's a bit like going out drinking, isn't it? That yeah. you know it's it's not the best thing for you, but you've made an educated choice <laughs> to go and get clattered. Like a calculation. A cal- you made a calculation. Yeah, a calculation. <laughs> you made a calculation. Yeah. No, David. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he never he never cuts him slack, doesn't he? It's no, like he's yeah, trying yeah, to build yeah. this picture and the excitement yeah. and the jeopardy. You're like, do you think they're going to stay away today? No. 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 We've made the calculations. Yeah. We've sat here for four weeks now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, decisions are consequences, right? So yeah. like that wonderful integrated cockpit that you've yeah. got is yeah might be a wonderful piece of aesthetic but it depends on where you're viewing that aesthetic from if you're sat yeah. in a calf with a broom looking at your bike probably looks amazing yeah if you're sat on your bike looking at it going oh my back hurts <laughs> yeah probably not so good and we i've definitely been there i've definitely made choices where i've sat on something and then and then gone I don't know that I can live with this and, <laughs> yeah. and also like you you made choices yeah. to because the whole thing's a bit of a Venn diagram as well isn't it and, and like happiness in one corner performance and aerodynamics and yeah and you sort of need to slide the the bit where you're living into the where you need it most but you also having experienced a certain thing in a certain race or a certain bike ride go mm. I'm going to change this to suit that and then it's like, can I live with it for the rest of my time on the bike? <laughs> and whether that's into the comfort or into the, because like the tire size thing, isn't it? Yeah. We're all, we've all slid that part of the Venn diagram into, like, actually these twenty eights or these thirties with the technology, and the like. I'll forego that tiny bit of weight and probably that that sense that the 25s felt quicker whether they yeah. weren't or not i'll forego yeah. that for comfort <laughs> and grip and and you should just generally fit the biggest tires you can fit in your frame for aesthetic purposes that every bike can run 35 so we're gonna we're gonna be on monster <laughs> trucks are we <laughs> yeah i've got 50s on yeah my, uh, my commuter bike it's amazing don't feel a thing i do like i've kind of We've we've all had this circular gravel bike conversation, haven't we? Mm. Of where they fit in people's lives, and I think it's a lot to do with your your peers and where you live and the accessible terrain you have around you, and also your skill set. I think because I I sort of go out the other end of it, and I always feel like my my day out was compromised and I, I'd soon be on a hardtail with some mm. 2.25s and mm. and some bars that I can I can have a bit more fun with but that that's that thing isn't it because you're like yeah just fit the biggest tires on you can have and 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 that you just you kind of don't know what you don't know no like I remember going back to looking looking at 
what I used to ride, like cross country. Yeah. I had a Scanium cross country hard tail frame. It was a Kona. Yes, it was a Kona. Uh, Kona Cooler Primo. Yeah, they loved like, a bit of Scandium for a bit, uh, didn't they? Yeah, it was amazing. I, well, I thought it was amazing at the time. 100 mil travel forks and like 100 mil stem yeah. with 540 mil width bars. And I thought that was like the bee's knees. Yeah. And you jump back on something like that. And it's pr- that's pretty much a gravel bike now. Yeah. And you jump on your full sus now and like... 760 mil wide bars and that's considered narrow it's all but, sort of down to what what we're expected to ride now though as well though aren't i because hmm. if you remember like in the late 90s a cross-country race was was largely like one notch higher on the dial than a cross race wasn't it hmm. it was sort of like a little bit rougher and maybe a bit longer yeah and um, whereas now like I, I live i live out in the hills sort of down below dorking and and like a a, a hundred mil cross country bike is mega round there, and we all all joke that it's the quickest thing round those hills. Yeah. So it's that thing where you like if we add our twenty six inch wheel or or like those bikes would be a bit like you'd be better off on a gravel bike compared to mm. like a twenty six inch wheel mountain bike with narrow bars, and yeah. because the angles are more up to date and the wheels are bigger. But the it's that thing that you can now enjoy your cross country bike round round mountain bike trails, and the cross country courses if you go to sort of yeah. a regional or yeah. a, or a national series or something, they've got drops in them and they've got yeah jumps and, and yeah yeah. yeah. Like, but do you Georgia. think that that's a discrepancy in talent <clears throat> and people are buying bikes that are far like over equipped to cope with lack of talent? Yes. Shake hands and all yeah. head on our merry way. We've yeah. set the one. Excellent. Um, right. Completely. Right. And also it, it is that that sort of um the consumer the consumer because uh, like a lot of people are, are are buying into a club in in effect, aren't we? Like it's sort of I think you very much get get people that sort of get a sniff of a sport and then go what what tickets do I need to buy? What what things do I need to fit into this group so that I can then yeah. like just move in that circle? Yeah. I don't feel out of place it's and acceptance. And yeah, and, and generally, speaking, well, it's also that thing. It's why it's why you get a lot of sort of such people that are so passionate about telling you about what their thing is because it like whether it whether it's I don't know like like a particular diet or a particular exercise genre they do or anything like that you you literally it it's it's turning up and having something to talk to it's uh, to talk about and and you get to a dinner party and it's like <laughs> yeah i do this yeah. and then i'm going to talk about that and yeah. and that's cycling used to be the other way didn't it like cycling you you kind of didn't mention it because people thought you either didn't have a driving license yeah, or yeah. you couldn't afford a car <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah yeah it's that like oh it's that you, you turn up to like a dinner party and, and people would be like like what do you do You're like oh i'm a bike mechanic They're like oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. whereas now it's sorry to hear that <laughs> yeah you're getting like ushered out to the garden to look at someone's bike in, yeah, the, yeah. in their shed and go like oh i've got this and like i'm doing the ride 100 yeah. And, yeah. but yes you the bikes are largely it's the same as the 
automotive industry, it's it's sold on numbers, isn't it? And mm. I think if someone buys a like a one hundred and fifty travel bike and like rides it around the hills and they get used to it, and and the next natural thing is like, well, that felt good, but like one. 160 must feel better, right? Like, or, 160 used to be a downward bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Orange Patriot with 160 yeah. on it. Like, I keep saying, if you got, if you got a modern cross country bike, for example, like a World Cup cross country bike, and you gave it to someone in the early 2000s to ride a World Cup downward on, they would absolutely assassinate people, wouldn't they? Well, that's the thing. It's like of that bike that you were describing, right? Mm. The you know hardtail 26, like 100 yeah. mil upturned stem, yeah. 540 bars. That's what everyone rode. Mm. Yeah. And you had to have a sense of mechanical sympathy yeah. when you rode it. Otherwise, you'd end up in a tree. With inner tubes as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And now it's just like, you know, you can turn to a bike park or whatever, and you're riding blue trails, which, let's face it, aren't the most fun. Yeah. Everyone's geared up, like, tooled up like they're going to war. Yeah. And it's just like, dude, we're on, like, flowy blue trails. It's, it's cool. Like, I always joke that the kinematics weren't really sort of when they when they're figuring out the kinematics of a bike they didn't really have in mind someone that was like knackered because he was wearing a backpack and big boots sitting down <laughs> freewheeling down the trail it's yeah. like so that that's it it's, it's sort of it's hard to make these bike like it, they're great in the alps and they're great uh, i think you just got to be honest when you're buying the bike that you're like what am i using it for and what will be best exactly but the i always think as well with saying about those those cross-country bikes of that era that also it had to be done in a process didn't it because you couldn't imagine if you turned up with like a like my Mac 4 like a 100 mil cross-country bike and you gave it with 29 inch wheels disc brakes and uh, one chain ring and and you handed it to I don't know like Barry Clark or something in the 90s and go like you're probably quicker on this they're going no way that's way too long <laughs> yeah. it's like those yeah, yeah. don't about the disc brakes it's like oh it's all squishy when i pedal and like you i think with all of this whether it's like the aero stuff or the depth of wheels or well you saw how long disc brakes took to really standardize it has to be done in little increments mm. and the companies that jump those increments tend to fail and not be known as the people that started the movement if mm. you know what i mean yeah like, yeah yeah because like felt felt were probably one of the first aero bikes, mm. weren't they? Mm. Like in that yeah. Garmin slipstream AR, yeah. And, <clears throat> but the, like when you think of like who, if you think of who did the first aero bike, like specialized kind of spring to mind and my mind was the Savella. Yeah, ways. yeah, yeah. That's exactly kind that. of like the benchmark, isn't it? Yeah, and it's interesting you say like because when um, like one bar and disc brakes and aero was becoming a thing, like the three T, the Strava, yeah. yeah, that was like well ahead of its time, and everyone was like absolutely got the not. kicking of its life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It got absolutely mullet. <laughs> and sometimes the infrastructure's not there in the sense of like that when that three T came out, it like the, the group sets weren't there, were they really? Yeah, the yeah. gearing yeah. ratios weren't there, the group sets weren't there. I guess that's the difficulty brands have to kind of mm. balance if they want to kind of lead the charge or they wait till, you know, a bigger boy takes it yeah. on and then suddenly everyone's trying to play catch up and then making maybe poorer decisions because they're trying to be the same. So it's quite a well, difficult balance to... I suppose these, these the second tier people, the people that made it work or the people that became synonymous for it, 
probably didn't have the idea, but they had the capability and maybe the, the resource to make the idea work or develop the idea and just gone like, oh, that that's cool, but the bit they're getting a kicking over, if we do this with it, and then just go, bam, mass market, right price, yeah, and and do the right marketing, because ultimately that's a big thing, isn't it? Then, then you have an SL7. Then you have an SL7. <laughs> uh, I, I love the loops that like Specialized go in, because they're like, the SL4 was mega. Yeah. Like, I, I loved that bike, I had one. Yeah, um, yeah. And the the... It had that OSBV thing, which was a nightmare, and, and there were so many like different recalls and changes yeah. and, and kits that you, you're like, oh, we've got a fix for this, and they send you a little <laughs> bag of barrel dye and some new yeah. plastic cups. And then that that was, was such a nice bike, give or take its foibles, and then they're like, right, well, what we've done is the Venge, and the Venge is what you need now, the aerodynamic Venge, and then like you couldn't possibly race on that, so you kind of... You chucked your SL4 in the sea because it was worthless, and then and then you got your Venge, and then you're like, Venge, this is really good. It's like, oh, well, you need the next Venge, and then you're like, ah, oh, like, that one seems a bit quicker. So it's integrated cockpit, yeah, your yeah. your favourite <laughs> shenanigans. <laughs> Can't adjust it, but no, it's quicker. Yeah. No, and the and the front brake cable's got seven right hand turns in it. I remember counting because you had to go on a special course to build those things. Yeah, otherwise, really? I wouldn't sell them to the shop. Christ! And the front brake cable had seven right-hand bends in it by the time it got to the <laughs> to the shoehorned calipers because of the UCI rule change. But the um, they got that, and then they're like, "Right, what we've done is we've made this new SL bike, which is kind of a zero. You're like, oh, right, let's chuck my Venge in the sea now." So you've you've got rid of your Venge, and then you like got your SL7, and they're like, "Ha, SL7, can't go up mountains on that." So here's your SL4 again, but with a thread threaded bottom bracket. bracket. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, ah, oh, son of a bitch! Like, how have I ended up back here again? And then they're like, <laughs> and then they've gone and sold you like an SL7 again. And you're like, oh, hang on. Like, so and now it's like it's molded back into like a. It's it's sort of a little bit aero, but a little bit compliant, and it yeah. looks quite cool. Like I yeah. like that. Tell you what, though, the the Athos which they made is absolutely banging. People love that thing, really, and kind of kind of like, well, why did you ever go away from it? It does remind you <clears throat> that normal bikes were. Ri- I said this at Goodwood. I was, I was racing around <laughs> Goodwood, and everyone was like, "This was last summer." I was on a System Six, like a mm. slabby. Uncomfortable but really quick Cannondale Aero bike, and um, um, we all raced around, and I think it was knocking on thirty mile an hour, and and we finished. And I, I jokingly said to someone I was riding with, like, we could have, if we all had normal bikes, we we could have done the exact same thing, but enjoyed our bikes on the weekend. <laughs> and, and that's the weird bit now, isn't it? But it feels like the industry is coming back a bit now. There, yeah, it always ebbs and flows, doesn't it? Like. I guess they, they have to push it so far in a certain direction. Or do yeah. they? I, I don't know. Like you're... I, I think they I, there's that progression. And then, like you said, it, it's like baby steps so that people accept it. And I guess different people upgrade at different times. But then I think it, it, it comes up against the wall where people start getting fed up with a certain attribute, like yeah. the comfort of some of those mid mid ground aero bikes mm. and they go like we were saying a minute ago i'm willing to forego a couple watts so that yeah i enjoy riding this on a weekend and this is what's what's 
good about them coming back the other way. They're, yeah. they're just nicer bikes, aren't they? But that's a, that's a thing, like going back to people getting into the sport early and coming into the sport late. And I, like all three of us here grew up riding bikes and yeah. we've all been in the industry for God knows how long. Um, but people are coming to cycling when they're kind of uh, mid-age or, yeah. you know, uh, later on. And so, yeah, they're trying to buy straight into that. I don't know, the, the aero club or the, the lightweight club or something like that. There's um, that sense as well that that unless you, like, we all used to ride our winter bikes, like on a, on a winter chain mm. game, didn't we? That's yeah. not a thing anymore. You can't it? do it. The concept of the winter bike. Yeah. Well, Mudguards, long flappy mudguards. It's, <laughs> it's that thing that you, yeah, like an old, um, like what were they called? Well, ribbles used yeah, to be like a made them or, or um, the blue <laughs> ribble Ordax. It's funny how there was a standard issue winter bike colour, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. blue, blue. T- yeah, Tafosi. Yeah, Tafosi. Yeah. I had a Pearson that was blue. Yeah, that uh, was uh, my God, long four seasons. Yeah, yeah. long drop calipers. Yeah, and um, there's that sense that you used to be, able, but there's the people that, like rightly so, only have one bike, and, and when I. When I go cycling, I ride my bike, and that's that's mm. fine. But the the disparity in performance now sort of nearly makes it impossible to go on that same ride. <laughs> if you if someone's on on like I don't know like a SL seven with sixty mil wheels in, and assuming you're both the same strength, it's going to be pretty miserable on your on your kinesis with with <laughs> with send off mud guards and and. And like four season tires and Tiagra, yeah, Tiagra. No, there's but, anything wrong with Tiagra. No, it's whichever mech someone left yeah. behind after they had their bike service. <laughs> yeah, part shop being bike, isn't it? And um, and like your hand built open pros, like it, it's just not not two things you can sit next mm. to each other anymore, is it? Yeah, I'd love to see some stats from the industry actually about winter bikes. Do they? Do they? I guess Kinesis still make their bikes compatible, fender compatible. Yeah. I think um, disc brakes and tyre clearance have made it more like year-round usable because even like even the race wheels thing. Remember, like Pete, you used to have training wheels and race wheels mm, because yeah. you couldn't ride round on your tubs. carbon tubs, could you? <laughs> yeah. Like so, and then because that was the thing. Like round London, you predominantly rode to races, so you did a a lot of races on your training wheels, like weeknight races, because you. You couldn't ride along the Mile End Road on tubs, yeah. could you? Yeah. <laughs> You'd just get a puncture. Like, yeah. well, and every time the tubs yeah. break, that's depreciation. Yeah. 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 It's like, well, you oh, could I tell, can hear the carbon yeah. just melting yeah. away. Well, you tell everyone going to Hog Hill because they, they had wheels strapped to their bikes yeah. and stuff. Sprint carriers. Guy <laughs> yeah. Pearson will get in the sprint carriers. So he'll, <laughs> he'll, he'll tell you whole, uh, the whole history of, of, of them. Oh, I can't. We should get him on. Yeah, okay. God, I love it. Yeah, it's set the world's right. He's, he's another generation further back. The disenchantment of, yeah. of the cycle industry. <laughs> well, doesn't he hold the uh, the accolade of the the oldest bike shop in yes. in Britain? Or? No, it, it was the oldest bike shop in the world, wasn't it? Yeah. They've they've momentarily subbed it out to another bicycle company well, at least at least, the, at least the accolade yeah yeah they, <laughs> the uh it's like multiple layers isn't it because it 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 was the the shop in Sutton was the original mm. shop so it's from like 1860 
I remember this Canadian guy coming in, coming into Pearson's once, and he was like, "This this shop is older than my country." <laughs> and it, and it, imagine that they were like building bikes before they had discovered Canada. And it's so strange, that isn't it? But they, yeah, that that original shop is still there and it's still a bike shop, but it's been subbed out to Balfs, who was also Balfs was also a really old bike shop, but then has been taken over by a larger company that is a chain of bike shops and it and it's it's layer upon layer but yeah it's like all these old brands don't they they all get thrown around oh i remember when holdsworth were still oh, like no, a little yeah. shop down in putney yeah um well even like you, you saw like stuff like falcon and yeah, all yeah. those and then they just became catalog bikes didn't they i remember being crestfallen when muddy fox <laughs> got bought out by the Chinese. Yeah. Now it's ended up in Spotify, right? Oh, I know. I know. I, I was like the, the coolest thing when I was, we were talking about our entry point to cycling, weren't we? Mm. And that was the aspirational brand when I was a, when I was a little kid to get a Muddy Fox. And, and it was, uh, it was funny because it, it was all, there's a really good film to watch on Vimeo about the history of mountain biking. And it's got an interview with the two guys that started mm. Muddy Fox, and and they ultimately got taken down by a like a holding company that had financed them that went bust. Oh, but, right. yeah. And um, but they were they were just a bunch of British guys that kind of created an American looking brand mm. called Muddy Fox, and it it just just went flew, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I guess there weren't so many brands back then. No. It's. Uh, uh, it's just so easy to buy bikes these days. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's like, oh, I'll have that one, click. Yeah, that's, that's a problem, isn't it? We do that every day. Yeah, I don't know. Impulsive I mean, purchases. Yeah, it's like it's very easy to spend a lot of money on a bike that, yeah, I remember it work. In the pandemic, this is what amazed me, that, that we all went through this process of, like, everything's going to be all right. I'm sure that won't end up over here too. It's over here. Everything's getting shut down. And I remember sitting, have, sitting down having the conversations at Sigma and I was like, who's going to like, who's going to buy a bike in the middle of this? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I managed not to laugh. <laughs> it, it was horrendous. I was like, like I, I just, I think maybe I, I forgot about, the way the world works for a moment but it was like surely with all of this happening and i was taking it very seriously as a lot of people were like no one's gonna buy a, a you know, ten thousand bike ten thousand pound bike now and click yeah, and collect yeah. and, and then like boris was like yeah crack on lads and then and then before you know it we literally just we couldn't build them quick enough Kaboom, yeah but yeah. spare income and got cold <laughs> to go cycling <laughs> But we survived. Yeah, the the industry's been through some pretty uh, severe ups and downs. Like even after that, and everyone overbought stuff. And then I don't know how it was for you guys at Saddleback. Um, just getting through that. I, I, the idea of I don't know if if you suffered the same kind of overbuying and then yeah. overselling and then it's funny. Like we, it's interesting, sort of being sat where I'm sat, you get to see the different tiers of it because you see a lot of bike shops and you see, yeah. like we we talk internally about the national accounts and I look after the southeast and and we've all suffered almost exactly the same problems just at different levels and 
ultimately with different amount of zeros like the like the it, the exact same thing that was happening to independent bike shops and to the nationals was happening to the distributors and and it was largely how you dealt with that and how what you did with what you earned in in the good times and and fortunately saddleback are very we've got very good brands we're very switched on and starting to sound corporate now <laughs> but, yeah. but we you're we, on, the, on the radio, George. Yes, yeah, we navigated it well. Like we, we obviously haven't come out of it unscathed, and, mm. and we we've got uh, a stock holding of certain things that we wouldn't normally have. But but compared to some of the distributors, and and you see this in shops that some people do still have a bit of a hangover. But the ones that invested in what they were doing and, and the right stock when they could get it are the ones that are still doing well. And then there's other ones that went out and bought speedboats and all the other crazy yeah, stuff. Yeah, and, and just didn't, like, they they must have thought that they, well, I, I think a lot of people thought that it was something they were doing and not, mm. not just this mm. crazy world. anomaly bubble spike thing. And, and you just saw that the, the people that weren't, careful or, or weren't thought out probably haven't survived it and that's the mm. thing and, and and that's happened at all levels of it like there's there's been bike come like as in manufacturers that have gone bust there's been distributors that have gone bust and there's been bike shops that are closed and and those were the ones that couldn't survive it or were on on an edge beforehand yeah yeah it's been a massive reshuffle within the industry yeah. i feel like it's still just maybe starting to settle down a little bit. Yeah. Where... I never wish ill upon anyone, and, and it's always, it doesn't matter what shop it is, it's always sad when you see shops closing. But mm. there was also a lot that sprung up, and, mm. and I think there's a lot of people that have been doing it a long time that I think are good, honest, stable businesses. And it, it's nice to see sort of the the wheat from the chaff in for want yeah. of a better expression and yeah. and the people that are working hard and, and are being sensible are, are kind of coming back to, mm. to offering good services and in an odd sense like you you were saying about proprietary parts and cockpits and bits and pieces the the, the universe still needs bike shops because people that that you can't do a lot of this yourself yeah and I've I've spent years spannering and and like even first glance at certain things you still got to figure it out and, and yeah. this isn't for the for the consumer to do it's it's to take to someone they trust that know what they're doing yeah and yeah, yeah if, if there's one lesson we i kind of felt like we all learned during the pandemic was well yes everything went online and it's possible to do stuff online but it's definitely not sustainable and yeah. it's you still need that kind of real human interaction you need to see yeah. george coming into <laughs> your shop and yeah. showing you new things and you know we need to be able to communicate and talk to people i mean our our job as bike fitters are, it's really a communication and knowledge yeah. job really we're here to give people knowledge and to teach them and yeah there's like a billion youtube videos out there yeah. but you can't become a bike fitter just by watching all the YouTube channels. You have to get down and do stuff. Like, it's like mechanics. Like, yeah, yeah, people need mechanics because you need people to work on your bike. You need that skill, that touch point. So, it's definitely like it's definitely not a paint by numbers thing, is it for you guys? And I think 
you it, you can't just watch a video and go like, oh well, these are the parameters I need to set to this, yeah. because it, it it's not as simple as that. Because everyone's like, we're kind of organic balls of, <laughs> of meat that have like that have been like shaped by our circumstances and our genetics. So it's there's no like simple thing, is there? Like, going to use that next time. Yeah. We are just balls of meat, meatballs. I always said meatballs. <laughs> Yeah, we're basically bone, meat, and water, aren't we? So, yeah. But yeah, and and like I said, we we all uh, we all offer something, and and it's never a sense that I go to people to sell them stuff. I I sort of I go to people to sort of help build opportunity, and 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 it's that thing that we we're all kind of in this big club that that we all kind of an ecosystem that we all need each mm-hmm. other to survive, and yeah. and. If we all work together and we all kind of like aim for this greater good where everyone's enjoying it, everyone's making the right amount of money out of it and and we're all doing it for the right reasons, then we can go and ride our bikes at the end of the day, can't we? Well, that's the interesting point. It's like if we're all pulling towards the same end, mm. then life's going to be better for everyone. And do you think, I don't know, like I've not been in this game as long as you have or you, wait, but... There was a lot, like especially pre-pandemic, of like every man for himself almost. Yeah. Do you think now that it's kind of like you said the wheat's been sort of cut from the chaff a little bit, that there's now more of this like cohesion within the broader industry? Or there was a sense when when in the middle of the pandemic when there was zero stock of anything. Mm. It was like, yeah, everything's gone back to like everything <laughs> like everyone was paying like maximum money for everything. And it was a sense that it's like, oh, this is it now. I think, unfortunately, the the tail end of it, there was a lot of, like we're saying, getting back to this form of status quo. There was mm. there was a sense that that some people needed to do it quicker than others, and some people could weather the storm and, and view the bigger picture, and there was others that couldn't. And like you said, there's there's, I think, unfortunately, in the process, a lot of people, a lot of. Um, companies kind of made promises to people expecting this to all go on and and, and mm. they're sort of having to kind of find their way out of those promises that they've made because it's sort of it, the growth that was expected by some people just isn't there mm. so I think unfortunately there, there's some people that can't even with the best intentions pull in the same direction as as some of us would like to go in or, or the industry needs to go in. But I think the further from that, that like patient one we go, the better it'll get. Like, I think, I think there's, there's companies and businesses that'll, that'll do really well. And, and we'll, we'll get to this point where everyone's kind of got, I, th- I think, I think most, most distributors and most retailers are uh, sort of, have a good view of the level they need to purchase at, and, and yeah, craziness yeah. has passed us a bit. Like, yeah, I think it was just a bit of a wake up call, wasn't it? Yeah. And just yeah. everyone recalibrating, being like, "Hey, you know, maybe it's, there's a." It always seemed like the bike industry was one of the best industries at shooting itself in the foot. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, we've got a mountain to climb here. Let's yeah. make it harder by yeah. chopping a leg off. You yeah. Know what I mean? Well, like, if we chop the leg off, we'll be lighter, so we'll get a bit quicker. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's kind of like that—that that kind of question is that: Are we? Yeah, will we ever get past that? 
do you think as an industry or are we always going to make a rod for our own backs to a certain extent? It's always joked that the industry will get saved every four years. Like, it, <laughs> yeah. like 2012, and then you're like, well, hey, everyone's cycling again. It was like just mm. petering out, and then it's like, bam, yeah. pandemic. Yeah. Mel. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got to remember that. Mountain biking. But so we're reading today about a, uh, a bike manufacturer that's just launched a new bike that you can only use their integrated cockpit on. And that to me, yeah, you can't fit anything else other than yeah. the proprietary part that is designed for that bike. And that is just to me classic shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. Because you're gonna inevitably run out of things that like options that you can't possibly have fifteen different combinations of handlebar and stem in stock at any one time. Yeah. You're gonna get disgruntled customers because the one that they need isn't available. And then yeah, we're, no one's winning, really, are they? Does like, this uh, does this company start with S? Like, no, it doesn't. I was thinking Scott. No, because like they they've gone and put a, they've gone from inch and a half steerer. Mm-hmm. Remember some of the Scots road bikes had yeah. inch and a half. I was chatting to someone the other day who got his new uh, whatever it is for. Is it foil the aero mm-hmm. one? Yeah. Got that through, and the bar's not available yet, and it's got an inch steerer. Yeah. So he's latched his like an inch steerer. Yeah. yeah. Really. So, yeah. Like yeah. Wayho's tone of voice what? there. What? Just, say what? An inch steerer. <laughs> it's in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that's stuff like that. Like <clears throat> I don't like I know I'm sat here and and part of my job is to uh, offer people the MV Melee frame, which has got a proprietary bar and mm. I suppose bar and stem. And we do you've got the choice of four different bars. And any stem length you want from from the word go, and and I think I think this this way of doing it sort of helps you guys because it it's I say you guys helps helps the retailer because you have to go through the process of it. If you want that bike, you have to go to somewhere that sells that bike, yeah. and then <clears throat> you have to figure out your fit, and then you when you order the frame, you order the setback of the seat post. And you order the length of the seat post, much as it's either short or long. Mm-hmm. And you order the stem length, you order the bar width, and you choose from one of four types of bars. Mm-hmm. So that's quite good because it then pulls the whole, whole process into that one-to-one interaction. Yeah, yeah, I think it's brilliant. Like that's that's kind of how custom bikes should be yeah. should be done. Like there should be a conversation before you commit. And so you go into that buying decision knowing what choices you've made, why you've made them, what difference that should make, and then you get a, a great bike out of it. Or, or maybe like the, the fitter, if they're an honest fitter, would say, hey, this this doesn't really actually work for you. Maybe yeah. you should try something else. Because not one bike is never going to fit every single no. person. Um, but you can still get a fantastic bike which is customized and I think fits you fits you well when it comes comes from the uh, comes out of the box. Definitely, and I think stock bikes are getting to a better position with it in in the sense that like say that's a uh, stock sizes say mm. forty eight through to sixty yeah. and and you and they are like shorter and taller, so it's a quick bike that that mm. suits normal riders so which is nice and it's compliant but like you said the there's a lot of even non-proprietary stuff you still got to chuck a bunch of bits in the bin haven't you like, yeah and that's yeah. why you get these awful handlebars and awful stems on those <laughs> yeah things. yeah yeah it's, a, it's a, a funny conversation that we have to have with people when they 
come buy a bike. And you, you can kind of see the process which certain manufacturers take. Mm. You know, the, 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 those manufacturers who build the complete bike but just put crappy components all yeah. over it because they know that everything's going to get changed anyway, so why would you put good stuff <laughs> on there? Even the wheels, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. But then oh, quite often the customer doesn't know that, so then yeah. they're like, why, why is this bike feel crap? Well, that, that's <laughs> the sad, sad part, that someone has probably spent four grand, which seems like a lot of money, mm. and ultimately it's like it's, they spent like four grand on a bike and they wheel it in back in next time and the free up body's gone and they're like, ah, mm. oh, it's because the wheels are junk. Yeah. It's like, well, why are the wheels junk? It's like, well, you meant to replace them as soon as you bought it. That's your next purchase. And it's, it's a bit of a strange situation, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. yeah we, I don't know where, like, I'm not really sure which direction it should go in. Un unless my idea would be every bike would be customised from the word go. Mm. But that doesn't really work in terms of economy. Of, you know, you want to make it as easy as possible to sell product to the consumer in order to generate revenue. And, you know, there is a, a very much a life cycle and a system that's rolling whether like it, we, we like it or not. I think we live in this industry, <clears throat> like largely most most people at kind of our level are in the industry because mm. we enjoy bikes and we feel at home and, and we enjoy the people that also enjoy bikes and we all have mm. a laugh like much like mm. today. But there there is that, that a certain tier of, of certain corners of the industry where like you said, the 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 least path of resistance to getting that that click and that that checkout is, yeah. and and whether it's hiding poor quality stuff underneath the cloak of a <laughs> of a shiny paint job, or or if it yeah. if it's that thing of like doesn't matter what bar stem wheels, yeah. chain set anything it takes to get get to a certain price point to go well that one's yeah. 10 10% cheaper than the comparable one. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's a price point thing. Yeah. Maybe it's once you get to a certain price point, maybe you can only buy a bike if it gets customized in some kind of way. Yeah. It's, well, I don't know. And then the question is, well, where where is that price point? Like is 4000 pounds a lot of money? Is it not a lot of money? I think I some of it depends where you live in the country as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah I joke about the cost of coffees that like <laughs> four, four grand compared to your average rental price in greater London doesn't seem like very much it's like two months of rent yeah and like four yeah. four grand in Grimsby is, is yeah. it seems a lot more doesn't it like yeah. you get fish and chips for two quid can't you and it's like yeah, yeah. but there the, the weird bit is we say this is a modern thing and it's in an odd sense it's sort of you used to have to do it anyway, like years ago when, when I sold road bikes in Devon, that if you sold someone a road bike, you'd have to take the 130 stem off it and, and you'd have to take the the like yeah. 5339 chain set off it and the 1123 cassette off it and then you'd have to, and they're like, oh, I just, I just spent like, back then I suppose like two grand on a bike and how come I've got to change all these bits and yeah, so yeah. well you're not going racing are you because <laughs> bikes have gone the other way now if you want to go racing on them you've got to change yeah. half of it yeah yeah so we've oddly made progress but in a yeah in a different see, way do you see the same thing with mountain bikes as well you, you race mountain bikes more than you do road bikes these days yeah. and so on. 
but I don't know who's who's turning up to I'm race mountain bike for, for ages oh, you should so. do it where I know I went to Wales a little track to practice on out here I know it's great um yeah, you have to hook me up with a bike. Is that the time? Just yeah. leave that one there. I don't know, oh, like, what, what is, um, I think the point of entry is probably easier because the the, the arms race isn't as massive. And oddly, like, mountain bikes seem better value than road bikes, I mm. think. Like, you can buy, you can be competitive on a, on a mid-range hardtail yeah, yeah and you could go ride say a southern xc smash around it and and like the difference between that and spending say 10 grand on one probably isn't that mm. isn't that big say from from say like five grand to ten grand like what you're gonna gain isn't that big whereas like that arms race thing with like the aero now yeah, is massive yeah. in it and do you think it's just cultural, like the, yeah. the road culture versus mountain yeah. bike culture? Because um, yeah, mountain bike culture, you, you kind of expect your bike to get a bit and smashed up, and it's a bit know. more honest as well. The racing, I think, because like you can get like you can get such a breadth of strength and ability in say mm. a, a bunch of eighty people on, and they can all finish within a second of each other. Yeah, really, like it goes around a bunch. Yeah, and you take that that same strength and ability and whack them in a cross country race, and and the gap will be like 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's the thing, isn't it? It's like in mountain biking, it's not as much about the bike mm, as it yeah. is about the ability and the talent that you have Skill, to yeah. ride that bike over that terrain. On a crit race you know, mm. out here on Wednesday night, it is like I said before, it's just an arms race. Yeah, because everyone's like of a similar ability. In terms of power, because they're all smashing mm. Zwift over the winter, yeah. you know, and it's then ultimately whose bike is the fastest, yeah, and who did a better job of shaving their legs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we ought to do recommendations, don't we? The, the um, <laughs> yeah, that's it, isn't it? And, well, you know what? Some that's just thinking back to a bit cynical. No, yeah. no, it's, it's true though, isn't it? I don't think it's very true. I think that's what was the nicest thing about the Tuesday tens, like here, the ten ten mile time trials run by Lee Valley. Yeah. Um, so I, um, like, I think Alex Dowsett turned up to one of them, mm. and uh, he made a really nice video about it. And it's it was probably the most popular time trial in the country, and everyone turned up basically on road bikes. Like, yeah. There are way more road bikes than uh, time trial bikes and there are people just coming in after work with like their panniers on and things like that and smashing her out, and, you know, smashing out a 10 mile time trial. Oh, felt great. All right, let's go home. That is a fun part of time trial that there's like a, a space in the sport for everyone. Like unless you really want to win, you can kind of do whatever you want and yeah. like you can turn up and just try and try and sort of better yourself. Yeah. But that's the thing, you're only racing yourself yeah. really, are you? Yeah. Um, you know, unless you are at the pointy end, it's like, right, can yeah. I get round a little bit quicker than I did yeah. last time? You know, same course. Yeah. You know, and it's measurable and it's tangible. Whereas if you're riding around in a bunch, there's so much that's like out yeah. of your control. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you know, someone, you know, tries to give thumbs up to their mate on the other side of the yeah. circuit yeah. or whatever. You know, or rides through a uh, a ditch and sweeps across the entire. <laughs> it's that the little foamy bit out there. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. Drop yeah. off the <laughs> drop off the edge. It's like, da, 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 yeah. well, it's like yeah, you can end up on the deck with no front teeth and yeah. a massive insurance bill for no fault of your own. Yeah, it's it's tricky in it, and I think like the the cross country racing is like 
you, you sort of hear this through and through that like people have the best fun just having this little battle because I, I think competition like I think none of us are, are, I, th I think this speaks for all of us and our client base and everything none of us are really at the at the sort of pinnacle of the sport so yeah. because if they were they wouldn't I think we want honest competition I think we want yeah. I think we want battles and I think we want that thing where it's like oh, I'm quicker through this section and I've, I've gained like two seconds but he's ridden back to me on on this yeah, next yeah, yeah. bit and and you like you want that that puzzle and the the fun aspect of, of going like trying to work it out and I think ultimately that gets lost a bit in in that type of bunch racing where you can you can go around in the bunch and and sort of do nothing for the whole race and 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 it's sort of like you're still in touch and you've still finished but you've also not not really battled have you you've, you've kind yeah, of just ridden around yeah my cross is so good yeah like, yeah, right, yeah who's fastest through the sand who's fastest through the mud like it's that same thing can, isn't it yeah who can get over the barriers quicker or the steps or whatever it's like there's little races within the race yeah and that's yeah that's and also it doesn't matter there. like if you're feeling if you're feeling good you're battling for sixth if you're feeling junk you've, you're battling for 13th but you still you still got this project in front of you where you're like right yeah. i need to beat that guy <laughs> yeah and if it's like and it doesn't matter that nick craig's like 10, ten minutes <laughs> yeah. up the road like <laughs> standard yeah. isn't it yeah actually. it's like love that man he's just just <sighs> absolute hero yeah and he's, he's the like nicest him. bloke in the universe as well, well that's the thing you can't hate the guy no he's <laughs> just so good but he's so nice yeah i remember being at one of the national series and and he um he won it and he's he's vet 50 so he's in his early 50s and mm. and he just left left his little trophy on the side and um, and someone went like oh you left your trophy behind and he's like oh it's, it's right i've got loads of them like, I don't, like <laughs> it's kind of like a little like act of charity it's like yeah, well they've yeah, got yeah. to pay for these so there's no yeah, point me yeah, yeah. using next week it's fine yeah, yeah yeah you know those things where they like they open like the cupboard door and yeah. <laughs> like cans of beer fall out he's got that but national trophies like um, oh, this cover's got cyclocross ones in. It's like, <laughs> I'll win the elites on the Saturday and then yeah. go race bets on Sunday. Oh, it's fantastic. And it, it sort of, despite what my mum says, it, it, it shows that you can be really competitive. It doesn't matter how old you are. Like, and you know, he's, he, he's going to be this quick when he's 60 as well. And just, but that's the nice thing about like these off road races, like yeah. whether it's cross or mountain bike, you're racing in the same race as like all, all these top yeah. end guys. And or, yeah, even oh, when I was racing 24 hour, like that was brilliant because you get all the pros in there and they're just racing oh, exactly the same course. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's that's what's really cool as well that you go to whether it's a Southern XC or like a national series or whatever, that that you are riding the same course with the same obstacles. And, yeah. and you can even compare times because like yeah. generally speaking, unless the weather's catastrophic, it's you got a good like indication of, of how quick your laps were. And, and like even compared to like Evie Richards turned up to some of them. Yeah. And it's interesting like seeing how quick these elite women are. And they're just like, awesome yeah yeah oh and the skills as well like you, you just even like the the some of the like under 23 girls and stuff like that and they they just 
not batting an eyelid going off these massive A lines, and you're yeah. like, that is incredible. Like, yeah, yeah, it's been really. Um, I did a fit for a young lass called Maisie, Maisie Harper, and oh, yeah. she, I think she was only 11 at the time, but now she's you know, she's working her way through the ranks, and it's amazing to see her progress. But even back then, like the, the stuff that she could do on a mountain bike. Absolutely, just like creeping a lot of us. I think it's ten times cooler if you're a girl. Like, oh, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it, like it just. I, I think the the sort of pathway and the distractions and the hurdles to getting mm. really good at, at at what's ultimately like a bit of a a bit of a burly sport in it. You get rough roughed yeah, about yeah. a bit, and I think that that commitment to see sort of young girls coming through the sport is wicked. I, I think. I think that's really cool and, and yeah. nearly more aspirational because, like, young lads get thrown about all the like, <laughs> That's kind of what you do as a, as a teenage boy. You batter each other. There's the hurdles to getting into it. Um, yeah. That is the, that's what needs to be kind of removed as much yeah. as possible. It's like, right, how do we get, how do we make this sport more accessible for everyone? Yeah. yeah. But that's what I love about cross. Again, yeah. like you go to a local cross mm. race, it's like the kids race and they're just, everyone's in it together. Everyone's yeah. all in it. The, the, the family time. sense is far greater on the, on the like mountain bikes and cross, isn't there? Yeah. You see people that, that their, their whole sort of family units based around it. They've got a camper. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, oh, this is what we do through the summer. We, we go to, the national series so we're like you know we, we like have a little cook up and we sit out and <laughs> yeah, yeah. you do the practice and yeah. we'll wait for tomorrow and and it's there's that saying like you don't so much get that on the road do you yeah it's not quite the same yeah it's just a different culture isn't yeah. it you don't like, see people camping at road races <laughs> do you know what i mean like in, yeah, yeah. but like the track's cool like that's one thing i found when when i used to live in devon and race in newport a lot and mm. then when I moved up to London, I, the first time I went to Herne Hill, there was like 50% of the people I raced with at Newport. I'm like, it's yeah. a bit like, what are you doing here? It's like, well, there's only five yeah. velodromes around <laughs> the UK at the time. So if you're going to go racing, if there's something on, people just drive to it. And it's yeah. the same yeah. family, which was cool. Yeah. It's the same with BMX. Yeah. It's like, you know, you see the same people at every race. Yeah. Like, you know, touring the north of England. Yeah. It's like, oh, you were at Howarth last week. Oh, yeah, Chesterfield. <laughs> yeah. But it makes it more fun, though, doesn't it? Because yeah. you see your, your mates that you don't normally see. And, exactly. And it gives you gives you a bit of motivation to go, doesn't it? Mm. That's for sure. Yeah. So it sounds like cycling's still in a healthy place, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we just got to all remember that it's good for yeah. you. Like, let's just ride bikes and do whatever. Bikes. Do what makes you happy, isn't it? Yeah, and also, if you're not having, like... If you've passed that that halcyon fun stage of a certain type of cycling, don't just give up cycling. Just try a different type of cycling. Yeah, yeah, buy a new bike. Yeah, buy a new bike. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, don't chuck money. At, don't don't chuck money to uh, the sport to cure the problems of the yeah. cycling you're doing. Chuck money at a different corner of the sport. <laughs> but that's it. Like I th I think it's it's easy to think that that like if you're not having fun with it that that's it and it's broken but you can just try it and and you meet new people and you meet new circles and you you kind of yeah just like you can kind of start that fun learning curve because i think that's part of it like the when you start something new the progression is is a lot more 
enjoyable and, and faster, isn't it? And, yeah, absolutely. And that revives your... Yeah. If suddenly you're feeling like you're improving every time you go out, whether it's every night or every weekend, then it just makes you want to do it, doesn't it? So Embrace the suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think on that note then folks yeah. uh, we're going to wrap it up we've all got then. a new motto <laughs> yeah. embrace a suck ride your bikes yeah. and have fun well thanks for having me along enough about butts oh thank you George that was uh, that was amazing so yeah I'll have to get you on again yeah it's good fun isn't with it? Uh, Nick Craig and uh, yeah. Guy Pearson yeah Nick Craig and Guy Pearson <laughs> what a dream team so if you're in any doubt, you definitely need a new bike. Next week, we chat to Matthew Butt, British cycling coach and head mechanic at Lee Valley Velodrome. See you next time.